The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Goodnight Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Bosky. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film, Goodnight Marilyn. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of Goodnight Maryland Radio, Nina Bosky. Unfortunately, too many people have hung crepe where it doesn't belong. In the first place, that last week of her life, uh, she was reinstated at her old studio to finish the picture. Uh, number one. Number two, she had bought two brand new wardrobes at Saks Fifth Avenue. She had made plans to go back and uh, close up the lease on her apartment back in New York the following month, which would have been September. Uh, for a person depressed and a person anticipating suicide, allegedly, uh, this certainly was not characteristic from what from where I sit. Hi, everyone. I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Maryland Radio, and welcome to the show as we explore the investigation, the life, and the movie all surrounding Miss Monroe herself. We are in season three, dissecting the DA report. Well, this week, the infamous Robert Slatzer, that's exactly who you heard just now. He made quite a name for himself in the Maryland theories and rumors. And uh, we'll be learning more about him, I'm sure, as the panel uh, gets on board uh, today. As Goodnight Maryland fans, we are growing around the world each and every week. And we have some shout-outs today. Betty from San Bernardino, California. Katia from, I hope I can say this right, Nukulev, Ukraine. Probably not, but we'll just say from the Ukraine. Jesse from Paradise Valley, Arizona. Marco from Florence, Italy. Diane from Bend, Oregon. Marcia from Stuttgart, Stuttgart, Germany. And Reno from Tokyo, Japan. And a special shout out to Sharon, who it also happens to be her birthday, who lives here right in Los Angeles. It's because of you and this story that we are shedding some great light on this mystery that's been haunting us for over 53 years. So many people claiming to be part of Marilyn's life. It becomes confusing to know exactly who the players are involved really in her life and as we are finding out who isn't. So this season we'll take a look, an in-depth look at what was really going on as we dissect the 1982-85 DA report. We also have some exciting news. You heard about it. Uh, I'm sure you've been hearing it on uh, social media but we also announced it last week. Because of the support not only from what we've done over the year with this show, but because of you, the Maryland fans, we are excited to announce that we'll be doing the Truth Will Set You Free conference, the real-life investigation of Marilyn Monroe's death at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. It's May 20th through the 22nd, so mark your calendars. 
There's going to only be limited live seating with 100 invites to the live conference, but you'll also be able to watch it via live streaming here on Voice America. We'll also be getting uh, you details about how you can be a part of this historical event next week. The website should be up, and if you want to participate, you can go and check it out. So start thinking. Do you want to come to this exclusive event in person, or do you want to watch it live, video streaming? And the reason why we're doing video streaming, too, is there are so many global fans around the world that would probably want to be here but might not be able to make it here in Los Angeles. But if you can make it live, it's going to be an exciting event. We have uh, a lot of the Maryland experts, some of them that you hear on this radio show each and every week, Gary Vitaco Robles, Leslie Kasperowitz, Jane, uh, Mary Jane Gray, uh, April uh, Via Via, who have all been really great supporters of this show and in, in providing information. We have Lois Banner, a uh, best-selling author as well. We have Dr. Michael Baden, Dr. Cyril Weck in terms of forensics. We have Dr. Uh, Reef Kareem, who is a very uh, famous psychiatrist here in Los Angeles. We have uh, Scott Bond, who, Dr. Bond, who's a criminologist, suicide expert. We have uh, immortal uh, Marilyn uh, Mary Sims, we have Greg Schreiner from Maryland Remembered and Scott Fortner, we have David uh, Marshall from the DD Group. Believe me, we are going to have some exciting information and having a collective group of people coming together for this sole purpose is really going to be quite a powerful experience, and thus the reason why the truth will set you free. Uh, before we get into this week's show, I have uh, to thank some people. Randall Libero, our executive producer of Goodnight Maryland. Also want to thank uh, Voice America Radio Networks, Mike Surgit, our engineer, Jennifer, our social media person, and of course, the panel, and you Goodnight Maryland fans. And because I know you feel passionate about what we're talking about, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'd like you to go to goodnightmaryland.com. There is a tab at the top of the website that says petition. What I'd like you to do is sign the petition. And you ask me why. What, what's this petition about? It really, in its entirety, entire, entirety, is about overturning the coroner findings from probable theory to either accidental or undetermined, very similar to what happened to Natalie Wood. And why is this important now? Okay, the reason being is one, we have the conference coming up, but two, LA officials, when we have talked to them, their sentiment about it is, is, you know, do people really feel passionate about Maryland? I mean, is this case, does really anybody really care anymore? Well, this gives them a reason to notice. Yes, the Maryland fans care. So please, if you can, go to uh, goodnightmaryland.com. Go to the top of the page. It'll say petition. It'll take you right to the petition. And I'm going to ask you to do something. As you know, it takes a village to do something like this. This is not a one-woman or one-man show. Collective efforts. If you can, send it out to your email database. going to ask you, there, we only need to get to 10,000 signatures by August. Let's do it, guys. Let's all pull together. Please help us do that. We need your support, and this is where we need it. So with that, let's get started. Good night, Maryland Radio. Well, with me, the panel is back. Gary Vitaco Robles, best-selling author of Icon, The Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe, Volumes 1 and 2. If you really want a wonderful bio biography of Marilyn, 
in very strong detail with a lot of uh, credibility and consciousness. I'm going to say consciousness. He put a lot of consciousness at, to to being really neutral and really uh, giving uh, the facts in this book. It's a very complete book. It is supported by Immortal Maryland, the F- Marilyn Monroe's fan site. And with us, we have Larry, uh, Larry, uh, Leslie Kasperowitz and Mary Jane Gray from Immortal Maryland. We are discussing this season, the 641-page DA report. Well, last week, we gave you an overview of the season. This week, we're jumping right in and giving you a great setup as we talk about Robert Slatzer and why is he important to this DA report, who was he to Marilyn in truth, and did the Red Diary of Marilyn's ever exist? So welcome to the show panel. Hi, glad to have you guys here. Nice hey. to be back, Hi, Nina. Nina. All right. Well, Gary, let's uh, let's start with you. Who was Robert Slatzer in life? Uh, you know, besides uh, who he was with Marilyn. Well, he's like you said. He's a controversial figure to some people. He's a stalker and an opportunist who exploited her in death. But to other people, he dedicated his life to revealing the circumstances of her death. So, what what we can pin down, what we really know about him, is that he was a reporter for the Columbus Dispatch. He lived in Ohio, and he met Marilyn on the set of Niagara, which was filming on location in Canada. And he met her casually on that set, and there are photographs of them uh, together. And he pops up uh, shortly thereafter in an August 1952 uh, column written by Dorothy Kilgallen, who wrote The Voice of Broadway, and uh, Niagara was filming in the spring and summer of 52, so this is, this is at the end of summer. And she does report, and I'll quote her, a dark horse in the Marilyn Monroe romance derby is Bob Slatzer from Columbus, Ohio, literary critic. He's been wooing her by phone and mail and improving her mind with gifts of the world's greatest books. Um, so we, we know that uh, Slatzer did have a relationship with Kilgallen, so it's possible that he planted this item or it was a setup for what was going to happen in the next month, September, because when Kilgallen went on vacation, Slatzer temporarily penned her column. And in that particular column, he um, indicates that he knew Marilyn going all the way back to the mid-40s um, at 20th Century Fox. And um, the quote from his column is that, their relationship is, uh, uh, is strictly of the mind. And he goes on to describe various books that he recommended to her and that he shipped to her, mostly books by Thomas Wolfe. So when we look at the photographs that Slater eventually published, um, they're all on location um, by the falls where Marilyn was posing for promotional um, photographs for that film. And in most of the photographs she's wearing costumes from the film. Some were rejected, some were actually used, and they are autographed rather casually by Marilyn. Um, the one I'm picturing right now is to, to Bob, luck and love Marilyn. So, you know, her typical message to fans were hugs and kisses or love and kisses. So, you know, not all uh, unusual what she would write to a fan. And then Slater pops up again in um, 1972, uh, when he approaches Bill Fowler, a publisher, 
because he wanted to publish an article um, about Maryland's death being part of a political conspiracy involving the Kennedys. And we know about this because Bill Fowler published a memoir in 1991, Memoirs of a Young Newspaper Man. And he says that, you know, what really prompted all of this were two things. Uh, Frank Capel had published in 1964 The Strange Death of Marilyn Monroe, who was really the first person to um, uh, wonder about conspiracy theories. But then Norman Mailer in 72 had published his biography, Marilyn, and he made some implication about her death being covered up and Im- implicated the Kennedys. So... Um, Now Slater comes forward with with an article, and Will Fowler says that he said um, he had a pass on on it to publish, but that he said, too bad you weren't married to to Marilyn, because that would make a good book. So according to Fowler, Slater now comes back and says, you know, by the way, I was married to her. And so in 1974, he does publish The Life and Curious Death of Marilyn Monroe, and he claims to have been present at all of her major life events and privy to her most intimate thoughts um, and places himself in the narrative. Now, a few people have come out um, contradicting him, and one person is John Gilmore. He was an actor studio friend of Marilyn's, and he claims to have known Bill Fowler and Slater and says that uh, Fowler actually acted as a ghostwriter for Slater's book, and he was the one who kind of um, pressured Slater into uh, claiming that there was a, a personal association. And Richard Allen, who was Marilyn's co-star on the set of Niagara, he describes uh, Slater as a, like a vulture and a stalker on the set, and Marilyn being quite uncomfortable with him, um, but being rather passive in um, uh, you know, before before you continue here, I just I find it very fascinating that this man, okay, and we'll we'll dis, we'll discuss him over the last, you know, over this hour, but how you know, given who Marilyn was, and we'll get into that in terms of her own, you know, who she let into her inner circle and who she didn't. But if indeed what you're talking about in regards to not really having an association with. Uh, Marilyn on a personal, personal level. If you think about all the media this man uh, received over the years on uh, various shows at the beginning of uh, this uh, this uh, radio show, you heard him talking about Marilyn in her last week, and I want to get into that and how he, he might have known that. I'm sure it's through other documentation. But uh, the reality is, is that, you know, he, he had a, a Bill Bixby show that was, uh, you know, that Bill Bixby hosted along with a CBS correspondent, a whole hour show. He was featured on numerous documentaries. How is it that, you know, this, this information doesn't seem that hard to obtain? How is it that he was able to get, a, 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 I don't want to say away with this for so many years, but people just didn't check, you know, check the facts? Well, well, this is true, and um, it made for uh, rather sensational television, and this this was the beginning of some of the investigative documentaries and and some of the, I would call it the tabloid uh, style that we have now was just beginning in in the mid-70s. But I think to, to put context on this, going back in time, you know, this is, this is after the Kennedy assassination where, 
people, a lot of people didn't believe the Warren Commission about the, 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 um, the one assassin. And then you had Ted Kennedy with his Chappaquiddick incident. And then you had Watergate wrapping up around 73. So when you look culturally, there was a lot of suspicion and conspiracy related to politicians and government and cover-ups. Um, and now he uh, produces this story about Marilyn, which is like the, the clue game, you know, whodunit. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it created like a cottage industry of its own as this great mystery of, you know, who killed this beautiful, charismatic woman. Yes, and it uh, you know it also makes it more more challenging also to dissect fact from fiction, probable theory from outlandish rumor fifty three years later or thirty something years after the fact. And, and there was so, no internet years. so that we yeah. could check on him back then. That's true. That's very very. That's a really really good point. Um, in terms of your overview of him, before I bring on the rest of the panel, is there anything else you want to add to this? Well, I think we're going to hear some interesting things from um, from Leslie. Um, and uh, Mary Jane might even tell us about the check that Marilyn wrote that kind of um, contradicts his claims. But I think it's important to say that he claims to have married Marilyn during her courtship to DiMaggio, and he says that they fled to Mexico in October of 1952 for about three days, and that he married her, I think, in Tijuana on October 4th of 1952, although there's no evidence of that marriage. He claims that it was annulled, that the documentation was burned. He was never able to produce evidence of that. Well, and, and, and we have to take a break, but one of the things I found fascinating in the DA report is every time that he would make a claim, he was also asked to be able to uh, produce the evidence in regards to that. And in the DA report, very rarely, if at all, was he able to come up with anything that was substantial. We have to take a quick break. With me is Gary Vitaka Robles. We'll be hearing from Leslie Kasperowitz, Mary Jane Gray, and more right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. He'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Night Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. She had entries in there that um, Bobby is out to get Jimmy Hoffa and, quote, I'll put that SOB behind bars or no or no what, something like that. Uh, she had entries in there regarding uh, Bobby told me that uh, he was going to have, uh, you know, Castro murdered. And uh, the entries, most of them begin with Bobby told me. Welcome back to Goodnight Maryland Radio. That was Robert Sleitzer in talking about uh, the Red Diary, which we will get to um, in just a little bit. If not, uh, we'll continue in next week's show of the Red Diary. But uh, with me is the panel, Leslie and Mary Jane from Immortal Maryland, best-selling author, uh, Gary Vitaco Robles. We're starting to dissect the DA report as we start to ask the questions about what was in it and what is still puzzling us. You just heard from Robert Sleitzer. Uh, we have have April Via Via on the line with us as well. She's writing her own book. She'll tell us a little bit about that. And she's done a lot of research on Robert Sleitzer as well. Uh, Leslie, let's start with you. Uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, uh, Sleitzer's uh, wedding or supposed wedding to Marilyn. Yeah, and um, not only can he not produce any evidence that it happened, there's actually evidence that it didn't happen. Um, We have evidence that Marilyn was actually in Los Angeles during that weekend. Um, She attended a photo play party on October 3rd, and she was photographed there. And beyond that, we have a check that she wrote at Jack's in Beverly Hills on October 4th, which is the date of the alleged wedding, for $313.13. Um, and she was believed to be shopping with Natasha Vitez, who was her acting coach at the time, uh, over that weekend. So not only can he not place her in Mexico marrying him, we can place her in Los Angeles with other people. And here's the challenge in, with somebody like him, and you've heard me say this on, on uh, the show before, is that one of the, the beautiful things or the wonderful things that Robert Slater did do is that he is really responsible for helping uh, the investigation back in 82 and 85 where we have the DA report and, and being able to bring this forward without him being in the media that might not ever have happened and we might not be dissecting this uh, DA report and have more information but the challenge with somebody like w- with him is that you know, uh, he does not have the credibility if he's making up these outlandish stories. And you can also prove that he was never married to Marilyn. So I, I just, it's a hard place to be because whatever you do, it's hard as a Marilyn fan and a Marilyn community to give him any credibility. And I wonder, Leslie, does he have anything besides what I just said that he brings to the, the table that bring, that brought insight to the Maryland life or the Maryland investigation? 
I can't say that I believe he brought a lot of insight personally into Marilyn's life, but he definitely was a force behind the investigation that took place in 1982. And he interviewed a lot of people um, and asked a lot of questions that hadn't been asked before. Unfortunately, he also asked a lot of questions that were um, a little bit nonsensical. Um, So we had things that were coming up that had been turned out to be completely false in the end. But he did, like I said, he did kind of spearhead the investigation in 1982. And and Mary Jane, what are your thoughts about that? Um, I agree that he did spearhead the 82 investigation. It, it wouldn't have happened if he hadn't been so um, loud and outspoken. Um, the man was a master of promoting himself. But in regards to Marilyn, I mean, he fabricated a relationship with her. And as Leslie said, a lot of the things he attempted to bring forth in the 82 investigation shows a lack of understanding of the details of what happened with Marilyn because he has a lot of his facts wrong and the DA report really reflects that. So give us an example. Um, Just an example uh, like uh, in, in the forensic aspect he brings up about again why were there no pills in the stomach when you know, every medical examiner exam, you know, spoken to about that explains very clearly the answer to that question. But as Gary said, because of the culture at the time, mm-hmm. you bring something like that up to the, the general public when everybody's looking for conspiracies, and it, it really struck a nerve with people, and everything just kind of snowballed from there. Yeah, and I also want to bring April Via Via into the conversation. You've done a lot of research around Robert Slatzer. So tell us, uh, April, first, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nina. And tell us a little bit about uh, your research and your take on Robert Slatzer as well. Um, well, I'm actually lucky enough to own copies of the Fowler document. So I have um, Fowler's correspondence with Slatzer. He actually later went on to downplay his association with the book, but Fowler was actively involved for well over a year. And um, Fowler got Slatzer connected to Capel, and what would happen is Fowler would get manuscripts from Slatzer, and then Slatzer would send them off to Capel, and Capel would, like, fix what he thought needed to be fixed and add in conspiracy stuff and then send them back to Fowler for Slatzer's approval. Well, you know, and I find when you look at these manuscripts and everything, you actually see that Capel wrote a lot of Slatzer's book with Slatzer's approval. And tell us so, who April. Tell us who Capel is, because a lot of our Maryland fans are hearing these names for the first time. Um, Frank Capel, uh, Gary brought him up earlier. He wrote a 1964 pamphlet called "The Strange Death of Marilyn Monroe." I believe that's the name. And it basically just said that she was killed because she was involved with Bobby Kennedy and. It's really what started the whole Kennedy conspiracy thing. Yeah. So so I think that, again, you know, when we look at all these, you know, all these elements, and I want to jump back to Mary Jane. You said something that was, you know, that he didn't get the facts straight. At the beginning of the show, we started with what was happening, you know, the last week of Marilyn's life, according to him. How is it that he had, is it that he got it from other books? Where is it that he got this intimate information about her? And is it even true what, she, what he said at the beginning of the show? Well, definitely in regards to the Bobby Kennedy diary stuff, that's, that's fabricating from his own head. Um, the things he would say 
about Marilyn personally is stuff he could have easily gotten from the newspapers at the time. She was splashed on every single newspaper when she died. And, I mean, he, this, this is a man who was obsessed with her for decades, and there's, there's no information he provided that wasn't readily available to anyone. But he was able to spin it into making it seem like he had an intimate relationship with her. Well, one and of the there things were two that... very oh, significant biographies that were written. Um, Maurice Zolito had written Marilyn Monroe, the, the first uh, significant biography in 1960, and then Fred Lawrence Giles um, uh, published Marilyn Monroe, the life of uh, Norma Jean, the life of Marilyn Monroe in 1969, which was very detailed about um, Marilyn's last, her entire life, especially her last year. So the information was available. Well, I just find it very fascinating because I have to say, from the outsider looking in, he seems very believable. And that's the, that's the challenge because, you know, even being in the media myself and, and with us with the investigation television show, they're always asking us, what's the hook? What's the hook? That's why I'm so excited about doing the conference because the hook is the truth, right? But it seems that uh, a lot of networks, and I, if anybody is associated with a network, uh, I would say that, you know what? Doing a story because it's a good story uh, about somebody's life, uh, unless it's a movie and it's it's fiction and it's said that it's fiction, I have to tell you, this is really not good journalism at all. And it, it's it's concerning me in terms of the media that for years now we've been you know going down the road of a good story uh, at the sake of really getting to the truth or checking our facts, and especially in today's age where we're, you know, even more so than 30, 40 years ago. I mean, now it's like, you know, the story is out there and it's circled around the globe um, before we even know if it's true or not. So I, I this is... This is very concerning in regards to, you know, what was happening back then, but even more so now because it's really easy to misconstrue the truth and uh, what's really happening, not only in the media, but uh, even back then with Robert Slatzer and, uh, you know, his his stories. So let, let's, let's start to break down a lot of what Gary uh, was talking about. Leslie, I know you wanted to jump in with the confidential article in terms of uh, what was uh, what was. Uh, talked about in that article. Tell us a little bit about that and what you're talking about in regards to the confidential article that uh, Gary had talked about and, and you know, uh, uh, gave us an overview. Okay. So in May of 1957, Slatzer published an article in Confidential. There, well, he didn't publish itself, but he was interviewed for it. And he tells a story, a very detailed, very intimate story of how he spent an afternoon and evening with Marilyn, um, and she was dating Joe DiMaggio at the time. He goes into great description of them on the couch and then in the bedroom. Um, and it's just a very kind of risque article and indicates that he had a sexual relationship with her. And this was published in 57 when Marilyn was married to Arthur Miller. Um, and both of them were apparently livid about it. Uh, but what the really, it is really a nail in the coffin of any claim that Slater knew her 
after uh, that time or knew her around the time of her death because Marilyn was absolutely known to respond very poorly to betrayal. She would not remain friends with anyone who spoke to the media about her, and especially in such intimate detail. To tell this kind of story publicly, she would have been horrified, and that would have been the end of any contact that this man would have had with her, without a doubt. Well, you know, one of the things I find that you're you're talking about in, in listening to the original tapes of Anthony Summers, one of the things that kept popping up that most people said that really knew her, from Pat Newcomb to Joan Greenson to people that really were on the inside of, of Marilyn's life and the, you know, if not day-to-day, at least in parts of her life, the one thing that kept on coming up is that she did not stay in the shades of gray. And she looked at you either a friend or a foe. And if you were a friend, you know, you were a friend and she was extremely loyal, but if you betrayed her, it was very, very black and white. So to your point, I can't imagine that if she knew that this man wrote those things about her and was not true, that she would have brought him in in her life at all. So uh, Mary Jane, do you want to jump in on that? Um, Yeah, that's an excellent point is, you know, Marilyn in as her career was taking off, uh, Jim Doherty's sister was interviewed. And it was a perfectly pleasant article. There was nothing uh, that Marilyn could seemingly be angry about with what she said, but Marilyn called Jim Doherty and yelled at him, and how dare he let his sister talk to the press. So, that you know, that incident just reiterates that there's zero, like, there's little chance he knew her at all, but after 57, there's zero chance he was in her life. Very interesting. April, you want to add anything on that one? Um, just building on what Janie said, um, Marilyn was actually asked about Jim's sister, and she completely denied even knowing her after that article came out. Um, I believe she spoke to Dorothy Kilgallen, and she just acted like she had no idea who Jim's sister was, and that um, I know she claimed that she had only met her one time which we know isn't true because she would watch her kids and stuff. But once you betrayed Marilyn, you were just completely cut off. You were dead to her. Yeah, it's very interesting. I never saw her as such a black and white person, but listening to people that knew her quite well, she certainly was. And and so, you know, to put that into the context of this article and who he was and what he was saying out into the in terms of the press, uh, you know, it's it, it's definitely suspect. Uh, Gary, do you want to add anything in regards to this or another point in regards to Robert Sletzer? Well, in, in doing the research for ICON, you know, sometimes just going back to what evidence is available is always helpful. And Maryland's 1962 address book went to auction in 2005 in, uh, at Julian's, and I was able to examine the pages for S. So if Robert Slatzer was a close friend of hers at any point during that period, I would imagine his name would be there. And his name does not appear on any of the S pages. And um, some of my readers have argued that with me and said, well, you know, um, maybe he was such a close friend that she didn't need to record his phone number or um, address. And my response to that is Arthur Miller appears in that book, and they were divorced. And Arthur Miller's address and phone number is the home in Connecticut that Marilyn shared with him. So certainly if she had that level of detail in her address book and Slater was so close to her, I would expect to find him there as well, even if he was a, maybe a casual 
So I'm going to play. I'm going to play devil's advocate for just one moment in regards to that. I think that's a very fascinating point, and I agree with you, Dave, uh, Gary, on this. But let's 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 look at also Marilyn's ability to compartmentalize. So there's some things that some people knew in some areas of her life, and some things that some people knew in other par- areas of her life. What would you say to somebody that just said, "Well, you know what? I was a compartment in Marilyn's life, and she didn't really let anybody know." Well, that gives someone an enormous amount of power to say just about anything and, and, and use as a citation their own personal experience, which no one could really confirm or deny. Yeah, and also, um, and I want you guys to jump in on this, and we're going to take a break in, in just a moment, but one of the things I, I, I don't buy that one either is that there is nobody, especially if you're marrying somebody, right, there is nobody that could substantiate, with the exception of the Niagara set, that they were ever together or friends. I mean, look at uh, uh, Ralph Roberts, I mean, here, the masseuse. Those are people that would be with her every single day that would have a sense of what's going on with her. Wouldn't you agree, Leslie? Yeah, absolutely. And the people that we know were her close friends have all stated that they didn't know him. And yes, there's the question of compartmentalizing her friends, but the reality is that people who knew her and were around her, there is some level of evidence. This is a woman who was photographed constantly, um, followed by the press. If she'd ever been anywhere with, with this man, it would have happened at some point that they'd be photographed together. And the only evidence he can produce is these photos from Niagara. So to me, it becomes a burden of proof on the prosecution a little bit there. So if you're going to state we were friends, then you kind of have to produce some evidence. Well, and also in regards to that, just because she compartmentalized uh, her friendships, it doesn't also mean that these people weren't aware of each other. So, you know, Joan Greenson might not have known Peter Lawford and vice versa, but they were aware of each other. And that's a significant fact, especially if you're talking about intimate details of somebody that nobody else knows um, that you were even in her life. So we're going to take a, a quick break here. I'd like to continue the conversation of Robert Slacer because he's he's really uh, a part of this DA report, and it's significant in the sense that he brought it forward. And I think for that, we have a lot to thank him for. In regards to all of this other stuff, he was perpetuating the rumors and also the stories without bringing a lot of evidence to the table. And for that, um, that is a challenge. And also, it really speaks to the fact that uh, getting to the truth and transparency, which is part of our mission, is why uh, we have to really, uh, you know, uh, put on the table here a lot, if not everything, that he brings to the table is actually not true. And if it is true, guys, and you know something, I don't want you to just argue the point about Robert Slater. I'd like you to bring everything that he's talked about in terms of the evidence. We're talking about evidence. If you have it, bring it forward. This is the time to do it. Two months before this real-life investigation, first time in history. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. 
p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417. 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everybody. I uh, Welcome back to Goodnight Maryland Radio. I'm Nina Bosky. The panel, we are talking about Robert Slatzer. Uh, we may or may not get to the Red Diary today, but we'll continue the conversation next week, of course. But uh, let's get to this week's Life Bites. It's a very uh, brief uh, Life Bites this week, but I'm taking it uh, from a quote from Marilyn's book of poems and notes from Fragments. From the star herself, she wrote, The truth can only be recalled, never reinvented. If she ever knew then how important that line would be to her life. Well, if this is the case, then we as the Maryland stewards to find the truth must make sure that we are not inventing and reinventing things like a Hollywood story. Movies and entertainment belong on the big screen. But Maryland in life was a human being just like you and me. All of these rumors and probable theories can add gas to the fire when they are not backed up in evidence and truth. So for today, look at the truth in your own life. Has it become difficult to face and look at certain events and situations? Or are you finding yourself reinventing them to look a certain way so you don't have to face what really is? You know, there's always shades of gray to life, but there is never shades of gray to the truth. So may we all pay tribute to the star today and her beautiful line as we go out into the world and may we be willing to face our truth, even if it looks messy, dark, or even fearful. You know, part of life is dealing with life head on, especially if we're looking to move forward. On that note, the panel, Mary Jane Gray, Leslie Kasperowitz, uh, Gary Vitaco Robles and April Vivia are all on the line. We're talking about Robert Slatzer. And Leslie, you wanted to make a comment in regards to, or Mary Jane, you wanted to uh, make a comment in regards to uh, some of the credibility issues with Robert Slatzer. Yeah, um, when Robert Slatzer would weave his stories, he obviously was asked to provide backup or witnesses for it. And he would actually... Uh, offered to pay people to lie for him. There is a letter from Joseph Jagsger, who was one of Marilyn's very early photographers, um, written to Will Fowler, talking about a boxer named Kid Chisel, who was, 
used by Slatzer to corroborate his Mexico story. He said they ran into them in Mexico, and Kidd was the witness at their supposed wedding. Joe Jasker relates a conversation he had with them where Kidd said there wasn't a wedding between Bob Slatzer and Marilyn Monroe. He offered him $10,000 for it to sign a statement that he was a witness to their supposed wedding. Kidd needed the money very badly at the time and signed a statement to that effect, but told Jasger that he never received the money promised to him and the wedding never did happen. And Kidd also said, I don't think Bob ever knew Marilyn. So we have this letter? Yes, we have this letter. Okay. It would be wonderful if we can actually post it and also utilize it for the, the, the truth conference as well. Because I think, you know, part of the challenge that we all have is, uh, you know, making sure that we're not reinventing things in, in spreading rumors, which is really hard 53 years later, not to just talk in theory, you know, because a lot of these people are also gone. So I think that's a really important aspect. Leslie, you wanted to add something as well. Yeah, we talk about Marilyn compartmentalizing her friends, and I think that um, Slater knew that, and I think that he used that to his advantage. Um, one of the things that gave his book some credibility was that he had Marilyn's makeup man, Whitey Snyder, write an introduction. And because Whitey knew that Marilyn was that way and did compartmentalize friends, he just took Bob's word for it and went ahead and wrote the introduction and later stated that he really didn't know the man and didn't know if they were friends or not. So, you know, people always ask why would Whitey have written that if it wasn't true? And I think he just kind of thought, oh, well, I just didn't know this guy, but that doesn't mean that Marilyn didn't and went ahead and wrote it and later kind of disavowed it. Yeah, I think that's always the the challenge, especially back then. Uh, I think Gary mentioned that we didn't have the internet. We couldn't just look people up. And and I have to say, he does seem very convincing when he's on, on camera I mean, he, he, it, you almost feel like he does know her. So it's, it's a very challenging thing. Um, Gary, I think you even mentioned, you said something about he was the ultimate great pretender. Somebody did. And I thought that was interesting to say that because that if, if indeed, you know, what we're finding that he didn't really know Marilyn, there's a lot of proof that he did not uh, in an intimate way. Uh, you know, he really is the ultimate pretender. Um, this is anecdotal, but I have a friend who actually knew Robert Slatzer. And he said the impression he got from him is that he had convinced himself that what he was saying was true. It was almost um, to a point of a delusion. But he said when you talk to him, he would, he would be adamant and convincing. And it's, it's almost that it's, it, he had made this stuff up in his head and totally, absolutely believed it. Well, so and when I, someone believes a lie, it's a lot easier to convince other people. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and also, if indeed, you know, he was, you know, uh, as we quote, stalking her on the set of Niagara and wanted to get to her, um, you know, that also speaks to the obsession aspect of it, you know, and that's also, uh, you know, a challenge potentially. So, so Gary, you wanted to, to also add a comment in regards to, you know, kind of moving up to 1968 and, and what was happening during that time. Well, yeah, yeah. Most of um, Slatzer's claims and implications regarding Robert Kennedy really date back to Frank Capel's book and or his pamphlet. And Capel was an ultra conservative, and he and when you read his pamphlet, I have a copy of the 1969 version of it, so it has all of the addendum 
that were added. It was published in 64, 67, 68, I think, and 69. You know, he's, he's citing Kennedy as a liberal with communist tendencies and Maryland being associated with communists. And if you look back in history, um, after uh, John Kennedy died, there, there was the potential now for his brother to run as president and, and for there to be um, democratic power in Washington. And of course, you know, Kennedy, uh, Robert Kennedy became, um, uh, he, he had a candidacy for presidency. He ran in 68. So, so Capel kept bringing forward this book almost every year, culminating with the election year. And so you clearly see what his agenda was, and the way he kind of got, got around the slander was that in some instances he would refer to him as a VIP or as the VIP in Maryland's life. And he made uh, quite provocative allegations. Such and, as? Um, so Slater Such took as. that and <laughs> then partnered <laughs> with Milo Spiriglio. And um, Milo Spiriglio was a, a private detective who now took Slater's story a little bit further and now began to talk about Maryland having a diary that... Um, reflected the, uh, Kennedy telling her about plans to kill Fidel Castro and mafia um, figures being on the Justice Department payroll and, and the government giving sanctuary to pre- other pre- presidents of other nations and plans to assassinate other presidents. And all of these claims come, you know, in, in the 70s, where even some of, these inf- this, some of this information was already coming to the head. You know, we, we knew about the Fidel Castro plan by, by the mid-'70s. So, you know, these bombshells were not disclosed early on in history when the rest of, the, the rest of us didn't know about it. It's interesting that they make the disclosures after some of this stuff already rises to the top. Mm-hmm. Well, I also find it very interesting, you know, you're setting the stage. It's, it's very challenging sometimes to put ourselves back in time and look at the time of the day when there was a lot of stuff going on in terms of conspiracies. You know, you had the Vietnam War, you had Nixon, you had Watergate, you had all this stuff, you know, uh, uh, Robert Kennedy in 68, uh, it was a 68, yeah, 68 that he passed away. Um, you know, that that was a different time. I mean, in some ways, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with that in terms of a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, paranoia and a lot of uh, issues from, you know, generation to generation. But when we look back at that time, also not having the internet, that also becomes a, a, a challenge when you start to really source source facts uh, in what people knew and what they didn't. April, would you like to, to add anything to this conversation in regards to that as well? Um, I just have some more stuff on Capel. Um, it's worth noting that Capel and Clemens, who was the first arriving officer, um, were both sued for slandering a senator in 1965. And that is actually what led to Clemens being released from the police department. And Capel's name was completely dragged through the mud. They had to do a public apology. It was a huge scandal. And um, it's worth, I bring that up because in uh, on February 16, 1973, Slatcher, Capel, and Fowler signed a document saying that Robert F. Splatter will receive full credit for the writing of this work while Capel and Fowler's names will uh, remain secret, which just shows that people, that they obviously thought that if people saw Capel's name, they would not take Splatter's book seriously. And the document does go on to say that um, all profits will be 
split equally amongst the three of them. So this, for so long, this has just been thought of as being Slasher's book, but really it's also Capel's book and it's also Fowler's book. It's not just something that Slasher came up with. Well, and, and also, also interesting to note yeah. is that Clemens, um, his statements about how the scene didn't look right and this was off and this was off first appeared in Slatzer's book. He had never said anything about anything being amiss prior to that. Well, you know what I'm finding very fascinating, kind of being the the first time I'm really getting into this from an outsider coming in, you guys have all been researching this for years, is just the aspect of of one person's book, right, being uh, kind of the foundation for another person's book. And then there's this mixture of these facts and fiction that appears to be real and how easy it is to have this happen in our society, right? Um, it just not only then, but right now, I just find this very, very, uh, you know, actually in some ways disturbing because it is so easy to do and have people get on the bandwagon. It's it unfortunately thing, still happening. If you repeat something enough times, it's believed as truth. Well, even, you know, when we're going out and about and we're talking to whether it's about the show or the movie or the investigation, right? Um, I cannot tell you how many people will come up to you and tell you a story that isn't necessarily based in fact. It might be a theory. It might even be a probable theory. But the reality is, is it's not, it, it's been told to them and they actually believe it too. And I think that's why it's a difficult thing for, for in some ways, a challenge of what we're doing here. And you've heard me say this before, is as Maryland fans and communities that are really wanting to get to the truth, we have to be open-minded to the information that's coming in, but it has to be substantiated with a follow-up of, of, of fact. And what I'm learning from, from all of you this, you know, in this show specifically is the challenge is, is that what he did do well is that he got media attention and he was able to bring forth the 1982 investigation with the, the report of 82 and 85. That is a positive thing that he did. Uh, the challenge is everything else that you guys have been talking about in this entire show that this man has been able to, over the years, be able to act as if he knew her and he really didn't. On an intimate level. So, in closing, um, Leslie, your remaining thoughts? Yeah, just the thing that you were saying about unraveling sources, that's a big part of what we're doing here in that we are tracing back the sources to where these things were originally said. Because, like you said, they get repeated, and you'll get a book written that just references another book, and that book references another book, and it's a rabbit hole of sources. Exactly. April, your remaining thoughts? Um, I agree a lot with what Leslie just said. I mean, you really just have to dig through so many things to find original sources. And a lot of times those original sources are not reliable. Mary Jane, just a few seconds. Uh, I was just going to say, I think Slatzer is one of the worst things to happen to Marilyn's legacy. And his statements keep getting repeated in book after book after book. And uh, it's about time that we start digging down and letting people know the truth about the things that originated from him. All right, Gary, just a few seconds. Marilyn rises above all of this like uh, a lotus growing out of the mud. Ooh, so we, I love we that. honor her. That's beautiful. And let the truth 
set her free. On that note, that's another wrap of this week's show. I'd like to thank all of my guests, Gary Vitaka Robles, Icon, The Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe, Volumes 1 and 2, Immortal Marilyn's Mary Jane Gray and Leslie Kasperowitz, and April Vivia, who will have to talk to us a little about her, her upcoming book in the in the coming weeks. Until next time, I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Marilyn Radio, and remember to never stop dreaming. Thank you for joining us for today's show. Good Night Maryland Radio with Nina Bosky can be heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in again next week. Thank you.